Welcome to Authors on the Air. I'm Matt Coyle, author of the Rick Cahill Crime Series. And I want to thank Pam Stack, excuse me, the brains and heart behind Authors on the Air Global Radio Network for letting me borrow her podcast for a day to interview my friend Jack Carr. Pam has graciously offered me the chance to occasionally sub and I jumped at the opportunity to interview Jack. So let's get started. Now, I've truncated Jack's um, bio a bit because we don't we only have about 20, 25 minutes. So the whole bio can go that long. Jack Carr is the New York Times number one bestselling author of The Terminal List, True Believer, Savage Son, The Devil's Hand, In the Blood, and Just Out, Only the Dead. Jack is a former Navy SEAL sniper who led special operations as a team leader, platoon commander, troop commander, and task unit commander. During his 20 years in naval special warfare, he led assault and sniper teams in Iraq and Afghanistan and practiced counterinsurgency in the southern Philippines. Jack retired from active duty in 2016 and lives with his wife and three children in Park City, Utah. Welcome, Jack Carr. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. Always love sitting down and being able to talk to you and catch up a little bit. You bet. You bet, Jack. Um, The one thing I didn't mention is that everybody knows and knows you. You're also one of the nicest guys in in fiction. Now, it's my opinion. I wrote all your books. I think Only the Dead may be your best. And that is saying something for a New York uh, Times number one bestseller. There's a lot of scary stuff going on in this book with global ramifications, um, as always. Can you give us a brief synopsis of Only the Dead? Yeah, without any spoilers, uh, after the last book, In the Blood, I left a few things uh, unresolved. And part of the part of the art of this is to uh, have enough resolution at the end of a story that uh, so the reader feels like they uh, like they just weren't the story didn't just stop. Um, but also leave a couple things that make them want to go on to that next novel, kind of like getting to the end of the chapter and having it end in a way that makes them want to turn the page to keep them up all night. So that's kind of the art side of it. And this book really ties up a lot of those loose ends from the last book and then from things that I have been kind of hinting at or kind of leaving out there a little bit in the previous novel. So most all of those get tied up in this one. And it is a novel of truth and consequences. Each one of my novels has a distinct theme that uh, I write out on a yellow sticky and put on my computer as I'm writing. Uh, I find that that helps guide the writing process and keep me keeps me on track with not necessarily directly but also indirectly so i like everything to stay on theme as i'm writing so i find that helps quite a bit so this one the first one was revenge without constraint the next one was a story of violent redemption um and each one has had these themes and this one truth and consequences so uh everything's coming to a head in this one it certainly does wait you As always, you um, your uh, evocative description of what you do always makes me think of something different. I'm going off script. So, do you start with your theme? But like when you're the next story, I have an idea for a theme. Is that where everything starts, or does it start with uh, James Reese or particular plot? I think some of the, there's some overlap there, but generally, I like to have that theme. I, I know. 
I'm fairly certain what the story is going to be about, but I start with this theme, a title so that I'm not wasting bandwidth thinking about a title as I'm typing away and not thinking, oh, geez, I've had great titles so far. What if I don't think of one for this? So I don't like that. Even if it's a working title, I like a title. I have a theme, which is either a couple words or a sentence or maybe two sentences at the most um, to guide the writing process. And then I take that and I turn it into a, a one page executive summary. And then I read that one page and I say, is this worth the next year and a half of my life? This is something from, from David Morrell. And if the answer is yes, then I read it again and say, if someone was to walk through the airport and walk into Hudson News and read the inside flap here and find out a little bit about what this book is about, would they be willing to invest time that they're never going to get back into this story? And if the answer is yes or probably, then that's the, that's the story. And I take that one page executive summary, turn that into the outline, and then turn that outline into the narrative. And I don't have everything figured out in that outline. If I get to a point, let's say in part one, and I'm thinking, oh, how's he ever going to get out of this? Uh, I don't know. I don't stop and get stalled out and figure it out then. I know I have a year and a half to figure this out. So mm -hmm. I just put a bunch of X's in there and I move on knowing that uh, this isn't the battlefield anymore. I don't need to make decisions uh, in seconds that are gonna affect those to my right and left. Um, and uh, it's a little different. So I'm solving problems still aggressively, still creatively, just like on the battlefield, but I have more time to do it. Consequences aren't nearly as dire. So I know in a year, I'm gonna be able to figure out that. So, uh, so I get to that outline just to a beginning, middle, end, a couple few chapters in there that I, where I know I need to have certain things happen and then start writing, turn that into the narrative. Awesome. I will say if uh, you're talking about, is this enough if someone's walking through Hudson News in the airport to want to pick up the book and read it, I think uh, some of the times if they're walking through the Hudson News in the airport, they might see you signing your books because that's something <laughs> you, always, you always post on social media, which I love. I mean, I think that's I awesome. <laughs> and, and I imagine it's, it's terrific to see them there. Um, yes. uh, There's something that kind of freaks me out. In earlier uh, books, you have been frighteningly predictive of global events, uh, weaponized infectious diseases. Sorry about that. Something fell down. Uh, artificial intelligence. And now in Only the Dead, you touch upon the consequences of the U.S. This is not really a spoiler because it's very early in the book. Consequences of U.S. involvement in war in uh, Ukraine. One being that it could embolden China to, uh, to invade ta uh, Taiwan. So... Um, it takes, like you just said, a year and a half to write a book. Yeah, that sounds about right. And then you turn it in, and then the publisher doesn't, turn, doesn't publish it the next month. They take their time. So um, how do you telescope so accurately into the future? Because you've been dead on on a lot of things. Are you the modern-day Nostradamus? <laughs> well, definitely not. Some of these things aren't that hard to figure out. Like my second novel has a, uh, a Russia invasion of Russian invasion of Ukraine. Um, they don't invade, of course, because, well, spoiler alert, so that the hero does some things. And uh, but now uh, they actually did. So when it comes time to write these scripts for the Amazon Prime video series, now that's going to be something that needs to change because Russia actually did invade Ukraine. So some oh, of these yeah. things aren't that uh, difficult to predict. Uh, in this one, I hope, I'm wrong on the on this one in, in particular, but what Me I too. 
like to do is uh, is put myself in the enemy's shoes and think about things from their perspective. And if I was the enemy, if I was, let's say, um, Russia, China, Taiwan, or Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, uh, super powered and uh, super empowered individual, a terrorist organization, what would I have learned from the United States over the last few years, over the last 20 years? And how would I incorporate those lessons into my battle plans? Um, and I, so I typically do that, which is what I did in this case as well, and came up with the, the plot that I that I came up with here. And I don't want to give too much away, but there is a lot of it, uh, as you said earlier on, that gets set up in the novel. Um, but uh, but uh, yeah, I hope I'm hope I'm wrong here. But once again, you're just in, interested in history, um, and you spend time in the pages of history, uh, and you look at what maybe different countries have learned from it or not learned from it. Uh, in in our case, in particular, and when I say our case, I mean the United States, because we tend to think in terms of four and eight year election cycles, and not necessarily project uh, ten years or a generation, maybe yeah. down the line. Um, so uh, so yeah, it's just something that uh, I'm very fortunate to have discovered or not discovered, been uh, encouraged to read so early in my life from my mom who's a librarian and just grew up with a love of reading surrounded by books. So the reading has always been a part of my life and through reading, I've learned so much and it has opened so many doors for me, for me and enriched my life in so many ways that uh, now I can incorporate a lot of that into the pages of my novels. And uh, many times you go back, if I have something I'm interested in that I kind of remember studying in the past or reading a book about in the past, well, now I get to go deep into doing that research because it's because uh, people are going to fact check me uh, and, uh, and to weave oh. into the pages of my, my novels oh, yeah. today. Well, the one thing they won't get, they can't get you on are guns like they can get me on. Um, <laughs> so I, you are incredibly well read and you're, you, 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 I don't know how you do it, but your posts on Instagram and uh, probably Instagram uh, mostly are, you know, events that happen in history. I mean, you could be a freaking historian, but um, you're, you're clearly uh, a, a war historian, but even just your general things. Anyway, so you're, you're incredibly well read. Um, so, but going back to the time frame and, and how long it takes to write a book and things. Um, when you started writing uh, Only the Dead, the war in Ukraine hadn't started yet. And I, I can't, you know, I don't remember when the, how long the Russians were on the border there, but uh, did you have to go back and make some, uh, a lot of late edits since say in the last, well, eight months or so to this book was a kind of a different process than normal? Um, not, not really. Uh, I started writing this one really as um, Russia invaded Ukraine. So it was at the, at the outset um, of that. So I was finishing up my edits on the last book. There's some overlap because as I'm finishing a book or as I'm writing it, I also have a folder on my computer where I'm putting different ideas, uh, things I want to explore in the next novel, things that I think uh, would be worth thinking about. Um, so I have that going as I'm focused on writing the material the book at hand, the current one, but it just makes sense as I'm writing to also put these ideas and file them away. Um, and so I was doing that. I was finishing that part of the last book up of, of In the Blood, uh, Russia invades uh, Ukraine. Um, and some of these things, just if you have Russian characters in the military, in the Wagner group, in uh, Russian intelligence, it, you can't not mention the invasion of Ukraine uh, in your story. Um, so it made sense to incorporate it, but I didn't want that to be the sole focus um, because we're all more familiar with that. We can watch, we're watching it play out essentially in real time. Um, and also things can change drastically between when I'm writing and 
publication. So it's uh, it's something that is uh, part of the novel, but it's not the central focus no. of the novel. That, if that makes sense, um, yeah. I didn't have to for this one. Yeah, this one's longer. So this one right here is uh, about one hundred and thirty-nine thousand words. And as I started, I didn't, it's, it's 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 a long one. So people can also use it as a blunt impact weapon or as a doorstop uh, <laughs> as need be. Uh, but as I as I did that outline, yeah, I was like, okay, this will be about one hundred and fifteen thousand words somewhere in there. That's a good that's a good length um, mm. on this. Now the sixth time, so I'm kind of getting a feel for it. Uh, but I blew right past 115, right past 120, right past 125, right past 130. So and that also meant I blew past a couple couple deadlines. So uh, which is which is fine. I I don't really pay too much attention to my deadline because I just want the best product that I can possibly uh, create, the best book I can possibly create. It has to be better than the last one. I've got to get better at my craft. I've got to move the genre forward, even if it's just by a degree. And if that's uh, that takes longer than than my deadline would dictate, then so be it, because people are trusting me with this time that they're never going to get back. And that's something I take extremely seriously. I take that more seriously than I take my deadlines. And for any authors or aspiring authors out there, maybe don't take maybe don't take that advice from me because uh, deadlines can be pretty important. But uh, I focus on that material. And for me, it's not like, oh, my deadline's coming up. I got to wrap this up. Or I hit 100,000 words. I hit 105,000 words. My deadline's next week. Time to wrap it up. For me, mm. no, it's all about the story. It's got to be the best that it can possibly be before I send that to New York. And if I uh, if I miss the deadline, then that's just the, that's just how it goes. Well, I think it's, well, I think once you hit the New York Times number one bestseller, that you get a little. They probably give you a little more leeway. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. It's possible. Um, so, as, as as again, you've led me to one of my questions. Um, in the excellent uh, preface uh, of, to Only the Dead, you state that James, James Reese, is evolving over the course of the journey, of his journey through all six books. And you also mentioned someone I'm not familiar with, but I love this this phrase, um, F.W. Borum, we make our decisions and then our decisions turn around and make us. I mean, that really, for, for someone writing somewhat of a uh, um, hero's journey, that certainly is, is perfect. It's good for any um, mystery writer or any writer. But how is that pro uh, prophetic statement relevant to Reese's journey? Uh, I think it's re relevant to all of our journeys, which uh, is one of the reasons I think that this character has resonated. There's a couple. There's a couple reasons. One, because the feelings and emotions behind the things that he experiences are things that I experienced downrange. So, if let's say my character gets ambushed in Los Angeles, California, um, I don't just make up how he feels or I don't track someone down who has been in an ambush and ask them questions about how it felt and then have those answers get filtered through other interviews that I've done or other research that I've done, movies I've seen, documentaries I've watched. Um, it's all coming right from my heart and soul. I remember what it was like to get ambushed in Baghdad in 2006 and then I just take those feelings and emotions and apply them to this completely fictional narrative. So if someone's reading it and it feels real, that's because the feelings and emotions are real. And then the other reason I think that this character and these stories have resonated is because James Reese is on a journey. And that's something every single person on this planet 
has in common is that we're all on this journey and we're all here for a certain amount of time, but we don't know it's going to end at some point, but we don't know how long that we have, but we're on a journey. And so James Reese is not the same character from book one as in book two, three, four, five, six. He's on a journey. He's evolving. He's adapting. He's learning. He's taking these lessons from his experiences in book one, two, and three and applying them in book four, five, and six as wisdom. And that's something that, uh, that I hope we all are doing. Um, and, uh, that, and so I think that him being on this journey and not being the exact same character that just gets picked up and dropped into a new situation and the next book picked up, dropped in a new situation, but someone who is evolving over this time, I think that whether people notice it or not is something that they're recognizing at maybe even a subliminal level that, oh, this character is evolving. He's on a journey. He is looking for this next mission, this next purpose in life, just like we all are uh, as we move forward and move from one transition to the next. Um, and it's just a, a natural part of life. So I think but for the, both those two reasons, um, that's why this character in particular has resonated. I do think, too, that um, he, ha he is evolving, but he's in the beginning of this book, he's he's uh questioning himself i mean that he's so, he's very human he's very deadly <laughs> he's very capable in almost any situation but he's not he's not superman he's a, he's a real human being and i think that and, and of course that comes from your own um as you mentioned your own life and that does you, you that does strike home and I, I think that's what i think that's what you know i think about it and it's maybe some thriller writing as watching a um like a CGI movie where I think it's CGI where the special effects are the thing. Well, you know, I think James Reese, James Reese is the thing. And I think um, that's why he resonates. The books resonate so well with people because for me, and I think a lot of writers and clearly for you, character is a thing. And um, I think we feel it with James. Yeah, I hope so. And that's the goal is to explore, you know, how he would be feeling at these different stages of his life, um, how those past experiences would be informing his decisions and his feelings and emotions uh, as he goes along this journey. Uh, and it's interesting in the show on Amazon Prime. Also, I don't know if we I don't think we ever really had any green screen type stuff. I'm trying to think back. I don't think so. We were very cognizant from the very beginning that we did not want it to be uh, like a ballet of violence. We wanted it to be visceral, just like the novel, visceral. someone to be, to sit down on their couch who had had some experience with violence, who had been downrange in Iraq and Afghanistan, to be able to sit on that couch, crack a beer open, and at least know that we, that we tried to make this for them. This wasn't, it wasn't made for critics, uh, wasn't made for Hollywood. It was made for that person who uh, stood up to serve over the last 20 years of war. And we want to really explore the mindset of a modern day warrior. Um, so that was what uh, Chris Pratt, Antoine Fuqua, uh, the showrunner, because um, you're going to have differences between the book and the show because now you're telling a story through a visual medium and there's just there's bound to be changes, of course. Um, but that's what we wanted to capture. This We wanted to keep the spirit of the book and capture that mindset of a modern day warrior in a way that uh, um, was respectful for those who have actually gone down and experienced these sort of things. So we were very cognizant that we didn't have green screens. Even there's this one scene, uh, episode two, where James Reese is in someone's apartment and he's trying to get some, um, or condo, and he's trying to get some information and it switches to Iraq and then it comes back to the present time. And that was actually physically done by Chris turning and them doing a full on change as people are moving these, the set wall and changing oh, wow. it. So Around. So it slowed awesome. down, 
of course, and everything, and then sped back up and edited for the film. But it wasn't just like two separate scenes. It was actually people with a huge wall ready to go. And as soon as we got to that part, pushing with their shoulders and pushing this one wall into place and moving the other one out of place and then totally shifting the scene and then doing the exact same thing as it comes back with another costume change for Chris. So it was all very physical. Uh, when he jumps off this cliff, uh, it's actually somebody jumping off a cliff. Uh, Chris Romwell, who is uh, who's Chris's stunt double. Uh, Romwell, who's Chris Shkanto, amazing guy. Uh, so so it's, it's very violent, very visceral, but very real and authentic, or as, at least as authentic as we can make it for Hollywood. And as Chris says, there's always going to be a little bit of Hollywood's hot sauce in there, just like in the novels. There's going to be things that, that move that plot forward that maybe wouldn't happen every single year to the same person. Uh, but uh, you, know, you, you have a little bit of hot sauce in there. But if it's anchored in reality and it's anchored in these feelings and emotions that are real, um, then you have something special. Well, I think, you know, I'm a fan of both the books and the series. And um, I think, you, you know, your, your target may have been those who have experienced that kind of violence, been in that kind of life, but it, it certainly uh, splashed over to the rest of us who just, we like, we like that genre, but also respect the men and women who are in that life. Um, but uh, you, I was thinking as you were talking about it, visceral, and then you said visceral, because that's exactly uh, to the series. And of course the books, that's what you feel. It is visceral. I mean, it's, 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 it's not pretty. It's visceral. It's gritty. Um, so we talked about James is evolving. You've got six books in the can. You're probably, it's probably seven is probably somewhere along, near done. Um, how do you feel that you have evolved as a writer? Hopefully I'm getting better. And if, uh, if reviews are any indication, that's, uh, uh, that is the case. I would think if I was to broadly look at, uh, reviews, uh, as they come in, uh, and that's good, that's encouraging, but, uh, I'm thinking about that as I'm writing, uh, how am I going to be better than I was last time? How's this next sentence going to be better than the sentence before? Um, how am I going to move this genre forward? Even if it's just by a degree and even every sentence that goes into anything I write, even for Instagram or a blog post on my website, uh, any sentence in the book, as much thought goes into any one of those as the other, because once again, it's people that are trusting me with their time, whether they're picking up the book to read, whether they're listening to Ray Porter narrate it, uh, or they're following me on Instagram or Twitter or reading a blog post or whatever it, it might be, um, all of everything I have goes into every single sentence that I write. Um, and that's just, I don't know another way to do it, but I want to improve just like I, every day in the SEAL teams, I wanted to be a better operator. I wanted to be a better leader every single day. I wanted to earn that trident, um, which is the, what we wear on our chest in the, in the SEAL teams. I wanted to earn that every day. And that is about trust. Uh, both up and down the chain of command. And same thing with these books. It's uh, it's trust with that readership, trust with that audience, because you're adding, you're giving that readership and that audience something of value, whether it's something they read on Instagram or it's reading the book. Um, that's hope, that's something of value that I want to provide um, to those people who are trusting me with this time. So uh, I'm always looking to get better. And I do that because I'm a fan of the genre from going back to my earliest days um, with my mom as a librarian. I was introduced to reading very early. It was a natural part of my life. I knew I wanted to serve in the military. And I was back then you could find the end of the internet because it was called the library. And if you're going to research special <laughs> operations in the early 80s, there was an end to it. There was a finite amount written about special operations, particularly SEALs. Uh, it was usually about Vietnam in those days, um, back in the 80s. So you could get to the end of that shelf in the library, and then what? 
And about age, age 10 is when I started moving from uh, young adult fiction into the same kind of books my parents were reading. That's when Hunt for October came out. Certainly by sixth grade is I'm reading the same kind of books as my parents. I'm reading books by David Morrell and Nelson DeMille and AJ Quinnell and JC Pollock and Mark Olden and Louis Moore and Stephen Hunter uh, and all those people who were uh, masters of their craft. And I'm reading those at age 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. But I'm reading it through the eyes of someone who hasn't built up any cynicism just that comes naturally, maybe with experience in life. And I'm reading them just for the magic of the, that's in those pages. And uh, what I didn't realize back then is that I was giving myself an early education in the art of storytelling from the masters in my genre. I was learning the history of my genre. Um, back in sixth grade, I read The Most Dangerous Game, um, which was an early, a short story from the early, from the 1920s uh, by Richard Connell. And even back then in sixth grade, I said, one day I'll write a story that pays tribute to this novella, to the short story. And uh, that was Savage Son. That was my third novel. Yeah. Uh, so I've been giving myself this education, even though unbeknownst to me, I was not, I wasn't doing, that's not why I was doing it. I was doing it for the love of reading and the love of these stories. Uh, but now to have that foundation built back then through those eyes, rather than someone who wakes up at age 40 or 45 and says, what should I have been reading for the last 30 plus years if I want to do this? Oh, I better right. go back and learn this. And I'm not saying that you can't do that. I think it's, it's very important to know the history of whatever industry you're in. But uh, for me to have done it in those times where it was so pure, um, I think it laid a different kind of foundation for me. And then I found Joseph Campbell through a series of interviews he did with lawyers in 1988 called The Power of Myth um, on PBS. And my mom and I watched that together. And of course, I was enthralled with how it influenced George Lucas for Star Wars uh, at that age. And uh, so I think I applied the hero's journey to everything that I read or watched uh, from then on. And I, I very intentionally write certain scenes into my novels that if you don't know that the protagonist is going into a cave, well, there are certain words that I use like gloomy or dark or cavernous or whatever that indicates that back even if you don't quite understand exactly why uh, because that's in us somewhere and that's the hero's journey from Joseph Campbell doing his studies and finding that cultures that never had any touch points had very similar hero's journeys very similar mythologies yeah. Uh, that they were telling us around the campfire, passing down lessons uh, to the next generations. And a lot of those lessons were of the hunt and of warfare. Um, but stories were a way to remember those and pass on those lessons. So um, I feel like I inadvertently gave myself a very solid education in the art of storytelling that came from a very pure place. Um, also, uh, serving the, me well today. And, I, and just, I think just through osmosis, all that reading, all that, it, it, it it builds in the the uh, foundation of of how to tell a story. You kind of start feeling it, where to drop a plot point. You know, I may not even know think of what a plot point is, but it just kind of starts to come through um, just through rote gotcha. of all the reading you did. So, how cool is it for you? You mentioned David Morrell, and we you mentioned him earlier. We talked about him earlier before we went on. How cool is it for you to read David Morrell as a kid, look up to him, and then now consider him a friend? I mean, it's incredible. And we just talked this morning on, on email. He's just fantastic. He came on my podcast to celebrate last year to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the publication of First Blood. It was published in May of 1972. Okay. 
had him on the podcast in May of 2022. And uh, we got to talk about that, got to talk about all his other works. And yeah, we've known each other now for, I guess, four years or so. And to have him write in, uh, I guess, on Facebook today, uh, that, uh, that he's a fan uh, and pulled up my oh, new cool. book. Yeah, that's pretty that's pretty special for for me and i have all his now because i grew up with all the paperbacks uh and now i have all those i've started collecting all those and i have everything he's ever written hardcover first edition signed um so i'm going back and collecting all those first edition signed of all those books that i read growing up in paperback and that's fun for me as well oh cool uh, so we, we we uh a couple minutes ago we touched on um the terminal list and i believe season two is a go. Um, how creatively connected are you that to the show? Yeah, I got very, for, uh, very lucky that uh, both Chris Pratt and Antoine Fuqua uh, wanted to be involved from the get-go. Uh, so I got to be a part of this thing from optioning my book to them picking the showrunner, David DiGilio, amazing guy, introducing us in December of 2019. And then us having talked every single day since. And uh, David really brought me in and mentored me along. I got to work on the pilot episode with him, just advising. I uh, got, got to see how he did that. Uh, then got to see the writer's room come together and how that how I got to advise on all those scripts. And then yeah. into, into casting, uh, into production, filming, into post-production, editing, into marketing and advertising and all those campaigns and then everything that comes afterward and then negotiating for the next series and saw how all that came together. So um, so I, I was very fortunate that they brought me in and now I am co-creating a spinoff series with David DiGilio from one of the characters. Criminal list, and that'll come first. That's the uh, Taylor Kitsch character for those who who watch the show. Ben Edwards is the character for those who've uh, who've only read the the novel. But it's a prequel, so an origin story, and going back a, a few years to show this character's transition from the SEAL teams into the CIA, and it's more of a international espionage th thriller rather than. Wow. Uh, revenge thriller conspiracy thriller action thriller that was the terminal list so it's uh it's fantastic to work on that and i'm, I'm writing the finale to that uh to that season i guess well now pens are down as of uh midnight uh, when we're recording this two nights ago uh for the writer strike so pens are oh, down yeah. for, for that for however long that takes and then we'll pick back up when uh, when that strike is over on that side of the house um but it's what's great about that also is that there's not a book to it so that means that someone, even someone who's a fan of the book, doesn't open it, look at the book, look at the screen, say, oh, that's different, that's different, oh, that's different, oh, I hate it. Um, so now it's just uh, being created out of whole plot based on my characters. And then we'll roll right from that into the second season of The Terminal List, and that's uh, based on my book, True Believer. And that's uh, Chris Pratt will star in that. And off we go. Of course, things can derail at any point along you know, the, the path here. That's just how, how it goes. And I'm just thrilled we made one season. So, um, uh, but I'll be writing an episode of that as well and, uh, executive producing and, and doing all that. So it's, um, I'm just a sponge as far as that world goes, just learning and, uh, and uh, adapting and hope and taking these lessons learned from the first season, applying them to the second one so we can make an even better show. Well, I think the, um, the odds are good. I would say that they, uh, Terminalist continue, you know, things don't fall out. And uh, Taylor Kitsch is a, uh, and I'm a big Chris Pratt fan. Taylor Kitsch is a really good actor as well. That's a, that's a great get. Um, so you great. know, it's funny you you mentioned because in your bio, um, I did not know this, but you when you um, got out of the service, 2016, 
you just said you just said that you were working on the series of the Terminal List in 2019. And of course, before that, you got the book. The book uh, published probably was 18, maybe 2018. Yes, March 2018. Okay, so you're a kid. You're reading about you. You wanted to. You want to write a young age adventure series, but you want to live a life adventure first. You did that. You got out of the service after 20 plus years, it looks like. And um, then you wrote, maybe you're writing a little bit in service. I don't know. Then you wrote a book. And, and so you basically splashed onto the scene. I don't know how it could have been any quicker because you got to write the book. And then, like I said, it's basically a two year process. You write the book. You, it takes you a year. You give it to the publisher. It takes them about a year. I mean, you didn't, you didn't have any, um, you don't have any of that. Now, I know you've, you've seen a lot of horrible things in life, Jack, and uh, you've served our country well, but a lot of us writers had a lot of misery never getting published all these years of being ignored. You never had that. You've had an easy life. That's all I got to say. <laughs> well, uh, yes, I guess it was fast. I had nothing to compare it to, of course. And that first book you have, there's no deadline. Uh, so I started writing yes. that in December of 2014. Okay. And I spread out on the table, six, seven, eight, nine different uh, one page executive summaries. And I had Savage Son among them. That's the one that I wanted to start with. But I knew the characters weren't developed to a point where I could explore the theme of Savage Son, which is the dark side of man to the dynamic of hunter and hunted. Uh, and it was very evident that it, I had to start with the terminal list. That's where I need to introduce these characters. And then even at the end of that one, I realized that I uh, can't jump to Savage Son yet. Uh, it would be uh, disingenuous to the reader to just pick my character up and drop him into a new adventure with dealing with the traumatic events of that first novel. So he needed to go on a journey of redemption, of violent redemption, and find his next mission in life, his purpose in life. Um, so I did that. And uh, then, the, then the characters were ready for Savage Son yeah. after that. One thing, the first one, you don't have a deadline yet. So you have to make as good as you can possibly make it, however long that takes. And uh, for me, I sent it to Simon & Schuster in November of 2016. So I got out of the military in June of 2016. During those last couple of years, I wasn't taking guys down range anymore. I was the uh, operations officer at our training command called BUDS, Basic Underwater Demolition SEAL Training. Sure. Uh, so that's when I got to really take a breath, look around, decide I was going to get out of the military and uh, could start start writing. So I had some time on my hands and, uh, in that, and especially when I said I was getting out and I dropped my papers, then your job becomes to get out of this gigantic bureaucracy called the military and you go to medical and you go to dental and you get read out of secret programs and you turn in gear. And of course you make appointments for all these things in which you have to stand in line for also. So it become, you, you go in this different pile and you have a, a, a little bit of time. So that's when I did the majority of the writing. But even before I sent that first book to Simon and Schuster, I was already on a plane to Mozambique to research the second novel. And nice. I did that as I remember the story of John Grisham writing A Time to Kill first and not being able to give that novel away and then writing The Firm. And then that one rockets him to uh, the top of the New York Times bestseller list. Tom Cruise stars in the movie. Then they republish A Time to Kill. Matthew McConaughey stars in that. And I think nice. A Time to Kill one of his best works. And it's his first one. But if he'd stopped, at that one because he couldn't give it away. Well, guess what? We wouldn't have the firm. We wouldn't have Pelican Brief. We wouldn't have all a John Grisham novel every year, essentially, since he wrote that that first book. So um, it's uh, so I always remembered that. So that's why I started writing the second one before I'd even turned in 
the first one and why I was on a plane to Mozambique to put boots on the ground there, because that was going to be such an important part of that second novel, uh, such an important part of James Reese's journey as he um, transitioned out of the military, essentially, and uh, and learned to live this uh, this life on the outside and looking for his next mission. Um, but when I got back from that trip, that's when I sent the first manuscript to Simon and Schuster and it writes Emily Bessler because I'd seen Brad Thor and Vince Flynn in the back of their novels, thank her in the acknowledgement section of their novels. And so uh, as I was writing the first book, I decided that Emily Bessler and Simon and Schuster would be my publisher and editor. And uh, lo and behold, uh, she read it and loved it. And uh, off we went to the races. Yeah, it's been pretty much nonstop ever since. And it's go, go, go. So yeah, those, uh, luckily I was already writing that second one. Like I said before, I even submitted the first one. So I was a little ahead on that one. Um, uh, same thing, Savage Son. I was probably on time-ish with that. And then the others with so much stuff going on, um, deadlines became a lot softer. I think it's the best way to put it. <laughs> well, I know I've taken up a lot of your time and I appreciate it, but uh, so the last question is what in terms of the book and books are you working on now or is it already done and something coming out next year that we know I should know about? Yep. So working on book seven right now. Um, also have my first nonfiction uh, coming out here in the fall of 2024. And that is a uh, book on the 1983 Marine barracks bombing in Beirut. And oh, wow. I always wanted to step into the nonfiction world as well um, and explore these different terrorist events that were very impactful to me growing up. And that 1983 Beirut Barracks bombing is one that I thought uh, would be good to start with. It's, uh, there's not really the seminal work on it yet, uh, or the seminal documentary even. Uh, yeah. It has a beginning, middle, and an end, essentially. Uh, it has a, the, uh, the embassy was bombed in April of 1983, which leads in to the October uh, Marine um, Barracks bombing. There's newly declassified information from the Reagan White House about what was going on at the time, uh, who wanted was advocating to bring Marines ashore, who was advocating to keep them on amphib ships in the Med. Uh, and then there's a little bit of uh, an ending in that the planner of that attack, who ended up being the number two at Hezbollah, the number one of their militant wing, uh, was tracked down and killed in Damascus, Syria in 2008 uh, in an uh, operation that was uh, never knowledge or never uh, by any intelligence service, but it bears the hallmarks of perhaps an Israeli Mossad hit oh. a little technical the CIA. So there's an investigative journalist side of it as well. So all the elements are there. And I'm working on that with a historian and Pulitzer Prize finalist, James Scott, who has written five books. Um, they are all, oh, not, not all, most are on World War II, but just a fantastic guy. So we're working on that together. And uh, so working on that. And then uh, when the writer strike uh, stops, I'll get back to work on the scripts for, uh, for the spinoff series and then right into True Believer. But it's uh, busy times, busy times. And I, I love every minute of it. Well, we're loving it too. And I got to say, I, I highly recommend Only the Dead um, for all those listening out there. And congrats and enjoy the tour. Good seeing you again. Great to see you. And hopefully I'll see you in person again soon. You bet. Take care. Thanks, Jack.